Yeah. Uh-huh.
need to give credit to credit. Let's do the young man over there did all the arrangement. Who, Joseph? Joseph, yes. Hey, good job. Excellent job. Let's uh, pick up your hymn notes. Turn to number 105. We'll sing the name of the beautiful name. Sing the first, third, uh, second, and the last. That beautiful name.
Rangers make Christmas songs always very high. Very high. Yeah. And hard to play too. Yeah. All right, pick up 89. Turn, uh, flip back. So pages 89, we'll sing Angels We Have Heard. Let's all stand and we'll sing this one. Angels We Have Heard and High. Oh, 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 oh,
bring us here, Lord, this morning to worship you, Lord. We, I pray, Lord, and ask that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, meet needs, Lord. And we have several prayer requests for this morning for people that uh, need uh, healing. Lord, I pray that you would touch their bodies, help them, Lord, with whatever that's needed, Lord, to get them back up healthy, Lord. And we'll thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Pray, Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. One more song, and we'll uh, turn the service to Pastor Number Thirty-Two. Blessed be the name. You know, and I like I like the season. I like the things that go on with it. I don't like everything about it, but I like most of it. And I like the fact that we get to worship the Lord and emphasize Him even more. And that's also a good thing. That's also a blessing. We're going to go to the book of. Well, let's see here. Several places to go to. Let me start somewhere here. Let me find my place. I found it. Uh, Mike just texted us in. He's got car trouble. So keep him in prayer that they get it fixed before the week goes on too long. Let's go to Matthew chapter 1. I was there this morning, but we'll go back there just to get a good starting point. 
Matthew chapter 1. Today at 9.30 I was saying to you what the angel said to Joseph to give him assurance that he should go ahead and still marry Mary and that it was not a problem but that this was of the Holy Ghost. This was a God event and so thankfully he did that. And then uh, I will cover verse number 23 on Sunday, the 25th, Christmas Day. We have services Christmas Day. We have services the first Sunday of the new year. And so hope you can be there for that, for those two important dates. And uh, I also mentioned in verse 25 that Joseph knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. That was important to remember that Jesus was the firstborn of Mary and of Joseph. Um, not Joseph, but in the fact that he was all Mary bearing uh, Jesus in her womb and a conception by the Holy Ghost. And then later on, they had other kids. Uh, they had four boys and some other girls unnamed. And I did say that the girls were unnamed because girls are not as important as the boys were. And nobody caught that one. They all got looking at me like, uh, what? Well, they're not named, but the boys are named. Now, this morning, at this hour, uh, some Christmas truth, some Christmas truth. Now, we just looked at the truth of the birth of the Son of God and His conception. But there are some truths that I was thinking about that are not uh, always remembered. As a matter of fact, there are some non-truths that are remembered at Christmas time. Some non-truths, some things that are not true that people believe at Christmas time. And uh, Christmas is making me think about, let's talk about what is true. But while we talk about what is true about Christmas, let's talk about what is not true at Christmas time. First of all, uh, there is this myth that has gone around for who knows how long about this overweight senior citizen guy who goes around in a little sleigh led by a reindeer with a red glowing nose. And this guy dresses in red, got a white beard, he's got a bag, bags of goodies. And he knows where all the people uh, are, the homes, he knows where all the chimneys are. And this myth that people believe, it's about a guy who goes around and he's white. I wonder why he hasn't been canceled yet. And he goes around the world and he knows who has been good and who has been bad. And uh, we're admonished to be good because otherwise he won't come. Now that's a myth. That's a make-believe thing. And I'm not going to be a real Scrooge today and say, you know, you shouldn't have Christmas, anything about uh, uh, Santa Claus. You know I mean? I'm not going to be a Scrooge about that. We do know he's just a myth. Yet people believe that. I believe that when I was a boy growing up, I thought he was for real. I didn't know where candy came from except Santa Claus. And so he must have left it at the door. So I thought of Santa Claus as a real person as a kid growing up. You may have done that too. Later on you realize he's not real. But we believe the myth. We believe something that's really not a truthful thing. And I'm thinking about some things that are about Christmas that are not so true. I want to address those things today. I want to address those things today. There are some things that are not true around Christmas time. Well, let me, let me use Santa Claus as a springboard to tell you that there are some things that are not true in this world, not just at Christmas time, but in this world. And there's some truth that I want to tell you about. So some things that are not true, and there's some things that are true about some things that are not true. Uh, are, you, are you following my, my illogical logic? All right. Uh, some non-truth besides Santa Claus. Uh, I want you to know that for some people, they believe this is true, that truth is subjective. People believe that truth is subjective. In other words, uh, I look at that as a 
a lie to deceive people. But people believe that truth is subjective. They believe that nobody's wrong, everybody's right. Everybody's opinion is good and it is true because it's their opinion. And because it's their opinion, they cannot be wrong. You've got an opinion, I've got an opinion. What you think is true, what I think is true, we're all right. And that's not true. That is to say that truth is subjective, but that is not true. Truth is not subjective. The only one who I know was always right was my son-in-law, Pete Wright. <laughs> Pete Wright is always right. He once showed me his ID. We were talking in the car about something like this. He says, you know, everybody's wrong but me. He says, I'm always right. And I, he caught me off guard. He says, I'm always right. He showed me his ID, Peter W-R-I-G-H-T, right. I said, you, you. <laughs> You're not going to marry my daughter with that kind of humor. And so he's the only one who's right. People think that they are right because it's their opinion. People think you should never criticize someone or tell them that they're wrong because uh, it's just their expression. Now, when it comes to the world of art and the world of music, people think they can do whatever they want to in the name of freedom of expression. When I was taking art in high school, and I did something in college, but not much, and... Um, Whatever we did on an assignment, the teacher would say, now in class, this is the assignment to draw this, to paint this. And however you draw it, that's fine. Because this is your expression of how you interpret this scene. And you paint it any way you want to. It's all fine. You know what that's all about? It's just about art. Artists are like that, you know. They do anything they want to. It doesn't look good, but it's theirs. So it must, must be great art. I've seen some horrible art. I've seen elephants take a brush and it's, what do you call that thing? It's trunk and and they call it great art. I've seen monkeys dabble with paint brushes and tempera paint and paint this and they say, oh, this is great art. It's not. It's gibberish. It's baby work. And then I've seen great artwork and it's great because there's a standard to go by to say this is great art. But in the name of art, you can do anything you want to. You can be blasphemous. You can be very uh, irreverent and still say this is great art because it's my expression of what I think of Jesus Christ. Now, there's no kids here, well, but uh, one. But uh, there is art that was done decades ago, and it's blasphemous. It's about Jesus Christ and uh, a jar of, of urine and all, you know, just, it just, this is art that's blasphemous. And yet, because it's my expression, it's okay. There is no right or there's no wrong because truth is subjective. And uh, when it comes to music, I heard, uh, I was slipping on YouTube and I saw this guy in a cave, looks like looks like a bunker, World War II bunker. And this guy was screaming in his mic. And these guys are playing whatever he's playing. This guy was literally screaming. He was yelling. And he was, and they were going like that. They're going like that, you know, whatever. And, then, and he continued. And verse number three. It was one big long scream. Everybody cheering. They're saying this is music. Well, it is to him because that's his expression. And that is what people say. Uh, truth is subjective. You cannot say anybody's right or anybody's wrong. Uh, everybody's right because this is subjective. This is mine. Now, try, try doing that on the military base. Try, try saying there is no truth. It's all subjective on the military base. Try getting onto school field. Trading out to Hickam or Pearl, uh, or um, uh, K Bay. Try getting on. Um, 
When I take Frank back, I can take him onto the base because he's with me in the car. But when I go there, he's got to walk out like a big boy, meet me at the gate. And so uh, they need to see my ID and his ID. Then I can go on. Thank you, sir. Uh, try saying, you know what? You just think you're important. You know, you don't know who I am. I can go on this base because I live here and we can do anything I want to. Try that. See if that is subjective. It's not subjective. They want to tell you stop or else. Uh, try going and flying on an airplane, catch a flight without uh, showing your ID and showing your boarding pass and your ticket. No, try doing that and see if you can be subjective about that. You can't do that. Truth, they say, though, is subjective and I can do whatever I want, think whatever I want, and have my own opinions, and there's no right, there's no wrong. Uh, we like truth that's in our favor, don't we? We like truth that's in our favor. Strike one. Boom! You're out. Now, it depends who you're cheering for. You love the umpire, you hate the umpire. If he says safe, if that's your team that scored, Great call. I saw a World Series game years ago, Atlanta Braves. This guy who was a Christian, he was on second base. The hit was made up there. This is going to win the game if he could score. He ran at second base. Uh, he ran at third base. He, he had a, a brace on his knee. This guy was hobbling home. He's running home, and he slid at home. The throw came in from the outfield to the relay man, and the throw came to the catcher. And here's what happened. The guy caught the ball. Wait, see, left, right hand. He caught the ball here, and he, he went down for the tag. This guy slid with his brace, and I know he was out. The slow-mo replay showed that he got tagged before he touched the plate. But the umpire did this. Everybody cheered because the home team won. He was out. The other team said, raw. They were so upset. We like the truth if it's in our favor. If, if I always told you, you are so handsome. Boy, you're looking really good today. Oh, he's a nice guy. I like him. I like him. I like him. But if I said to you, go back home, iron your clothes. You look like you just slept in that. Go back home. You look like a mess. You get mad at me because I'm telling you the truth that you don't like to hear. Now, this is how we are. Santa Claus reminded me in some strange way that truth is very subjective. We can believe things that are not so true. Now, a Bible that doesn't convict you doesn't do you much good, does it? Yeah. We'd rather have a Bible that's kind of soft and gentle and euphemistic and easy on the eyes and easy on our heart. We like to have things that are not convicting. Um, really, truthfully, we like to look in a mirror that is always going to show our good side, but the mirror is not like that. You know what James says? James in chapter 1 says, Looking into that perfect law of liberty, it's like a man looking into a glass, something that reflects. And when you wake up in the morning, ladies and gentlemen, you look in the mirror, I will tell you one thing. You don't look so hot when you first wake up. You look like Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> you just don't look so beautiful. But after a couple of hours, you do look better. Now, my mother-in-law, bless her heart, <laughs> my mother-in-law bless her she watches you know Nancy I know you do this this is true I've been in your home so many times you do this it's time to go somewhere it'll take her a long time to get ready we'll have breakfast a certain time and she drags us about a bed she does and whatever and then I'll do this and then okay well, what time will we leave well let's leave by 11 it's 8 o'clock leave by it takes you two hours she says I gotta go fix my hair 
So she goes, see, when she wakes up, she sees herself. She don't like what she sees. And so she's got to do what she's got to do to make herself presentable. So after about two hours, I'm ready to go. She's got her hair all fixed up, her glasses in place. She gets some makeup on, lipstick on, and she's got her whatever she wants. And she's bubbly. She's happy. She's ready to go to the door because she has spent some time in front of that glass that tells her you look good. The looking glass that is not truthful to you doesn't do any good. You ever go to these circuses or state fairs, get these distortion mirrors? And you look like that, and you look like that, you look whatever, and you laugh about that. Well, that's not telling you the truth about what you really look like. Look at a good mirror, a good mirror that doesn't have these, you know, little waves and things, distortions. You see yourself as you really are. Doesn't that help you? Isn't that good for you? You know what the Bible is? The Bible should be a book that convicts you when you need it, and it comforts you when you need it. It scolds you when you need it. It encourages you when you need it. And it tells you about you, and it reveals you like you really look inside. Not just the physical, but the inside. And a Bible that does not convict you is really not much good for you. If it's a simple Bible like that that's easy to understand, and it's not got hard words in it, and you have to, you, you like one that's really down to your level, you know, the, the vernacular. You want something that's really easy to understand, doesn't use the hard words like fornication, adultery, Hell, let's replace with Sheol or something, some other word because it's less, it's less hard on the hearing. Well, the Bible does say, thy word is truth. Jesus said that when he was praying to his father in John 17, 17, thy word is truth. So there is truth and it's not subjective. There is truth that is the standard for everything, for faith and for practice. And so the first lie that I want you to know about is truth is subjective. That is a lie. Like Santa Claus is not real. But yet people believe that. People do believe that truth is subjective. They believe that very sincerely. The more you do personal work, the more you realize that people are really believing in this notion that truth is subjective. Well, that's just your opinion. Here's something good for you to read. What is that? Oh, it's from our church at the Gospel Tribe. Oh, we don't, I don't need that. I'm good. Really? Are you good? Really? What does the Bible say about being good? I don't need that. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Well, people, people just don't want to be confronted with what is a simple basic truth. Now look, God is not hateful, okay? God is not hateful and he's not vindictive as some people may portray him. There's extremes in this world as a Christian. There's the extreme side that says, you're going to pound people into submission. You're going to beat the truth out of them or beat the devil out of them. That's one way of doing things. Not the best way to do things. Then there's the other side. Well, we just, we just pray. We just you know, uh, ask God to convict their heart and not ever speak up for Christ. There's that other issue, you know, a passive, a passive way of dealing with things. There's the aggressive thing. There's got to be some balance where we get in the middle and we speak the truth in love, in firmness, and not waver on the truth. Somebody says, you know, Christmas is about Mary. It's all about Mary. Well, it's not right. Uh, some people say, this year, it should be M-A-R-Y Christmas, not M-E-R-R-Y. It should be M-A-R-Y because I want to emphasize Mary and her immaculate conception. You know, immaculate conception is not about Jesus being born of the virgin. It's all about Mary being sinless at the time so that she could bear the sinless Son of God. No, that's not what that's about. Mary in Luke chapter 1, she says, I, my, my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. So Mary herself admitted that she needed a savior. She didn't ever say she was sinless. No. Good woman, yes. Sinless, no. Have all sinned? Yes. Even Mary? Absolutely. She said so. 
the myth is that she is immaculate. No, she wasn't. She never was. She never said that she was. So people do believe things that are not true. It's very subjective. It just depends on what you want to believe and how it favors you. All right, here's another thing. Um, you are a wonderful human being if you are tolerant. You are a wonderful human being if you are tolerant. Is that so? That is not true, but it's believed as if it is the truth. You are a wonderful human being if you have tolerance. It's the greatest virtue you can have. Never argue, never say someone is wrong, never point something out that's different from what you are, what you believe. Now, uh, I heard Michael Knowles talk with some woman who was for trans, the whole trans thing. And the question was about, the question to him was, what would you say to a person who gave birth? Let me say that again. What would you say to the per, a person who gave birth? He said, what do you mean a person? You mean a woman? No, we don't say that. You can change that to say. And the whole debate was, a man can give birth. And Michael Knowles, young American, he's a real good guy. He's very, you know, he's a boxer kind of guy. And he's where he should be debating with college students and college chemistry. Really good stuff to listen to. Kind of makes you realize how uh, there are some good people who who champion what we as Christians believe in and uh, go against, but he speaks up for us. But this is debate, a debate about a woman asking him, uh, uh, the leading cause of pregnant people are, the leading cause of pregnant people are, he says, you mean woman? You mean woman? She said this, the, the interviewer, not all women, not all women, but if you want to call them that, if you want to call a woman a woman, if you want to call them that, it only takes a couple of syllables to include inclusive language. So the whole argument, the whole beef of this one was using inclusive language. And so he says, uh, he, he says this, include who? She said this, to include people who don't identify as women but can become pregnant. <laughs> to include women, people, to include people who don't identify as women but can become pregnant. Noel says, you're telling me, for me to become a moral person, I have to accept the idea that a man can become a woman? That is a prerequisite of being moral? You know what she said? Yes. 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 He said this, I want to accept my identity. I want you to accept my identity as a correct person, as a man. I cannot become a mother. She said this, well... You're not a medical doctor. <laughs> oh, brother. You know, this whole thing is just so out of control now. And we have been, we've been intimidated. We've been, we've been bullied into accepting things we don't accept. Good for Michael Knowles. You know who else I respect that's been around a lot and uh, is everywhere. Seems like He's a good guy in many ways. I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but he's not against Christianity. Jordan Peterson. I don't know everything about him, but I know one thing. When I listen to him argue with these people, he will not put up with using wrong pronouns for people. He says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, well, why can't you be tolerant? He says, I am tolerant, but I'm not tolerant for foolishness. Well, good for him. 
good for him. I like what he stands for. I like that he is not for perversiveness. Oh, I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, this road has kind of got everything backward, you know, and it doesn't get any better. This, the closer we are to the return of Christ, the more of these things are going to take place. You might as well just face up to that. And uh, don't, don't lose your joy because things are going that direction. But this is stuff that's happening. And this is all lies that I don't want to believe. You should not believe them either. The greatest virtue, you are a wonderful human being if you are tolerant of people. Not true. Do you know Jesus got upset with people? Can you think about a time when he got upset with people? Beginning of his ministry, end of his ministry, goes to the temple, sees the money changers. What does he do? Well, he gets angry. He's not tolerant. He goes over there, what were you guys doing cheap? And he just grabs the temple and he throws it over like that. Boy, would he be not like today? Would he be called a bad man because he's so intolerant? Let me ask this question. Would you tolerate somebody trying to rob you? Would you tolerate somebody trying to break into your car? Would you tolerate somebody trying to take away your catalytic converter? If you saw God come with a sawzall going under your car and you saw that, would you say, oh yeah, well, I can't, I can't, I have to understand him. I have to understand that he has needs. I have to understand that he is lacking in some funds and so I have to understand where he's coming from. Help yourself to my Kelly converter. No, you can't you won't you won't tolerate that. Someone trying to hurt your family, would you tolerate that? Someone trying to break into your house, would you tolerate that? Someone cussing at you, would you tolerate that? Someone cussing at your wife or your kids, would you tolerate that? Someone trying to cheat you out of your change, would you tolerate that? Your employer don't pay what you're owed, would you tolerate that? No, the greatest virtue is not being tolerating uh, uh, no, sometimes you just gotta say stop. You can't do that. That's wrong. You, you cannot just let people do that to you. And so that is a lie to say that the greatest virtue is to be tolerant. Well, another thing along that line is the worst that you can do is to tell someone you're wrong. <laughs> That's one of those funny things in life to me that you are a horrible person if you are called intolerant. Intolerant. Now, um, Jesus, again, according to that definition, was intolerant. Um, when he, have you looked at Matthew chapter 23 lately? Look at Matthew 23. The greatest virtue is to be intolerant. The worst thing you can do is to be intolerant. Oh, yeah. It's amazing how people are so ignorant of what the Bible says and come up with all these notions that sound so good and so appealing to those people who are of that ilk. Matthew 23. This is a woeful chapter. It's a woeful chapter. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and, and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they hid, uh, they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works. Don't be like them. For they say and do not. You ever meet people like that? They say one thing, but they don't do what they say to you to do. They give you the advice, but don't take their own advice. They say you should pray, but they don't pray. You should read your Bible. They don't read the Bible. You should be kind, but they're not kind. You should, you know, but they don't do that. 
All right. Look at verse number four. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them one with one of their fingers. Well, somebody should really help them. Well, why don't you help them? Oh, I'm too busy. Verse five. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms of the feast and the chief seats of the synagogues and greetings in the markets to be called of men, rabbi, rabbi. They want the honor. They want the fame and the, the prestige. They want to be well known as spiritual, godly people. Verse eight, be not ye, uh, but be not, but be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth. For one is your father, which is in heaven. There's a distinction between calling your father dad or your dad father. That's the difference there because, you know, it's proper. But you don't call your father with a capital F as if he's God the Father. Verse 10. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And who exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. But woe unto you. The Lord's not very tolerant of me here. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Ay, ay, ay. In today's world, you'd see his face all over the, the cameras, all over the news, as a real nasty, intolerant, bad guy. Hypocrites, for you shut up and stop there. Look at verse 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 15. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 16. Woe unto you, you blind guides. Verse 17. You fools and blind. Verse 19. You fools and blind. Oh, he is such an intolerant man. Verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 24. You blind guides. Rain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. And that's because they're so focused on the outside, looking good on the outside. They're so plastic. They're so fake. Verse 26, Thou blind Pharisee, first cleanse that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Verse 27 again, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now, verse 29, same thing. Verse 33, it gets worse. You serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? Well, here's the Lord Jesus Christ, the lowly, lovely, compassionate Lamb of God, who came to save the world from their sins. He's chastising very harshly these Describes them Pharisees because they were what they were, hypocrites and fakes, and they were just out for the looks and for the applause of men. He was not tolerant about their wrong living and wrong thinking. Well, he just would not fit Woody in today's world. You're a horrible man, Jesus, because you are intolerant. Well, as far as we are concerned, I think we'll just take the side of Jesus Christ and have the right spirit about things and not go with the ways of the world. Now, uh, here's another lie that people believe. I am good to the core. In other words, I'm basically good on the inside. I am good on the inside. That is not true. That is a lie. But it's believed. Have you not read Romans chapter 3, verse number 10? There is none righteous, none at one. Oh, but I am. I am good. 
If something goes wrong in my life, it's because of somebody else's fault. Someone else is to blame, not me, if something goes wrong. If I have trouble, it's not me because I'm good. That is a lie that people believe as much as they believe in Santa Claus. Bad things happen to me, the environment, the government, my employer, my neighbors, my friends. It's all about someone else being wrong and I am getting the brunt of it because I'm good. I cannot be wrong. That is not true. The Bible looks at it very differently, doesn't it? We're not good on the inside. And we have problems. We cause problems with ourselves and for ourselves and for other people. Sometimes people just need to look in the mirror once again and find out that it is you, it is you, that is you, standing in the need of prayer, not somebody else's fault. The mirror, the Word of God tells me I have the base problem. And if I don't have myself under self-control, I'll be out of control. When I'm out of control, I cause problems for myself and for my own family and for anyone else that I know or care about or even strangers. I am a source of trouble. I am not good on the inside. I am pretty much wretched on the inside. Romans 6 and 7. That's what Paul said about himself. Here's another lie that people believe. And here's another thing that I'm thinking about as a thing about believing in a fable like Santa Claus. Now look, as I say that again, I just want you to know, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to poo-poo your Christmas or make you feel bad. No, you won't feel bad about it anyway. You do what you want to do. I know that. But I'm just saying that made me think about these things that are not true that people believe as true. Here's another one. Death is a peaceful transition. Death is a peaceful transition. They believe, people believe that when we die, it's a smooth transition. At first, the tunnel is dark, but as you get into that long tunnel, at the end, there's a light that you'll see. It gets brighter and brighter and brighter as you go through this long tunnel called death. You know, people have written books. They've been interviewed about having experience of dying and going up to heaven and describing Jesus Christ. There's some real, there's some real persuasive liars in the name of Christ that are on TV. They talk about their experiences. Uh, one man that I think about he is from, I think, uh, Tallahassee, Florida, somewhere down there in Florida. And he has said that he went to heaven. Now, he's telling this in a large audience. He says, I went to heaven. And he saw Jesus. And he comforted Jesus. Sure you did. Jesus, why are you crying? Oh, my heart is aching because... And he went over there and hugged Jesus. Now, if you believe that, I've got land to sell you at the top of Mauna Loa. Okay? And that's what these guys talk about. And people are sitting there like, oh, oh, oh my, oh, praise God, oh, hallelujah, oh. People believe things are not true. And a boy who said he went to heaven, later on said, no, my dad made me write the book. After he was published, after he had interviews, he became well-known, collected a, a pretty hefty um, uh, fee for speaking engagements, and uh, turned out that his father was behind all of that, all made up. Anything they said about heaven that was true, they got it from the Bible, but it's so embellished. Uh, I think one time, somebody said, I saw a waterfall made out of chocolate. It originated at the river of life, and it water flow, waterfalls like chocolate. Can you believe that? Now, I like chocolate. I hope that's true. 
It's probably not true. I mean, believe me, it's probably not true. The river of life is not chocolate. I believe that. I believe that. People do believe things are not true. It's a peaceful transition. Have you noticed that people talk about dying and going into eternity? It's never fearful. It's never a scary thing. It's always peaceful. I mean, they, they don't have a profession of faith. They don't say they don't know Christ as their Savior. They don't say that I trusted Christ. They just transition to this afterlife and it's all good. What does that do for people? It makes people feel like they are okay. Yeah. It gives a false sense of security that when you die, you just transition to another peaceful state or to a peaceful state. Now, you know what the peaceful state is like? You know how you can have a peaceful state? Turn to Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16... You know that two men died in this chapter. It's not a parable. In Luke chapter 16, two men died. One of them, well, they both had separate experiences. Let's see who had the peaceful transition. Luke chapter 16, verse number 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. Two men, two different stations in life. One very wealthy, one ate at Ruth's Chris every night because he could. The other one ate at McDonald's because that's all he could afford. And even then he had a hard time. McDonald's getting pretty expensive. And so this is their lot in life. One man had the fanciest of clothing. The other man had nothing. Uh, verse 21, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover, the dog came and licked his sword. That's the poor man, it's the beggar man. He's not very happy in that life. Verse 22, and it came to pass in process of time that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Verse 23, and in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. Now watch this. The first man, the beggar, died. He is taken by angels into Abraham's bosom. The other man, the rich man, died. He was buried. The body was buried. His soul, verse 23, was in hell. He has his eyes. That is to say that he can feel because he's being in torments. He sits Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Verse 24, And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now, you have two men who died. Now, the people who say that life is a, death is a smooth transition, look at this chapter, because two men died, one man had a smooth transition. His peaceful transition was the angels took him to Abraham's bosom, a place of comfort in the Old Testament. That's called paradise. The rich man who died, he didn't go to paradise. He went to a place called hell, fire, and he is tormented in the flame. His transition was not pleasant at all. It was not peaceful at all. Now, what's the difference? Why did both men go to their own places? It wasn't because, look, the rich man went to, to hell, not because he was rich. The beggar didn't go to paradise, uh, Abraham's bosom because he was poor. No. It just so happens that one believed in God, the other one did not. One made his God his treasures on earth. The other one, what else could he do but trust in God? 
Now he doesn't say he was saved. And he was not born again as we know born again. No one's born again here. But he went to the place of comfort Abraham's bosom. What happens to a man after he dies and he transitions into that life depends upon what he does with Jesus Christ. If a man gets saved, he is ushered into the presence of God immediately, absent from the body and present with the Lord, Philippians chapter 1. That, that's kind of like what happened to Abraham, uh, to the rich, the, the beggar here, but not quite technically true. For us, we don't go to a paradise down below, but that no longer is there. We go straight to be with Christ in heaven. Amen. That's where we go. People who don't have Christ, they go straight to a place called hell. And so there is no smooth transition, no piece of transition. The only smooth piece of transition there is, is when you have been saved and you die and you're going to be with Christ immediately. In the twinkling of an eye. So it's not true that death is a peaceful transition. It all depends upon what they do, what people do with Jesus Christ. It all depends on that. It all depends on that. So if you have received Christ as your Savior, when you die, your transition will be peaceful. You will not go through a tunnel and then a bright light. You will go straight to be with the light of the world. Straight to be right with Him. Faster than I can snap my fingers. And unfortunately, and tragically, those who die without Christ, as quickly, they will go down below to hell and await their final judgment Revelation chapter 20. It's not a piece of transition, but people believe that. There are so many movies that have been that have been put out for who knows how long about facing death and they all face death courageously as if they are okay. They're okay because they've done some good things in their life. Their good outweighs their bad. Therefore, they got a good percentage that they will be going to a peaceful eternity. They believe that. Religious have told them, do the best that you can. Have faith in God, but do the best that you can. Be religious and do the best that you can. And then when you die, cross your fingers just to be sure that you'll have a peaceful transition. You know the better way is just to believe what the Bible says and call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And then when you die, ushered into his presence immediately. That's the peaceful transition at death, not like the world described it. So I thought about some lies that people believe around not just Christmas time, but all the time. But Santa Claus people think about this. The only good thing about Santa Claus for parents is that it's a good tactic to use on their kids for them to behave. And when they grow up out of it, I don't know what they're going to do except, you know, make them behave without the incentive of leaving Santa Claus. Uh, we have the truth, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible, and we very easily clear up misconceptions and non-truth with the word of God, the truth. Now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go around and, and hammering people and saying, you shouldn't have a Christmas tree. You shouldn't have decorations. You shouldn't give gifts. You sh I wouldn't do that. That'd be pretty wrong for you to do that. I mean, let them do what they want to do because they will do what they'll do anyway. But um, the birth of Christ is a happy time for Christians. We acknowledge his birth. We worship him, especially even more so. And we should be drawing closer to him because of the season, the time. And it, it kind of helps us, it should help us to just focus more about our relationship to Jesus Christ. So how is your relationship to Jesus Christ? Is everything about stuff or is everything about, Lord, the year's about done. I've 
I may have to read my Bible in January last year, and I did pretty good, but I kind of got slack, you know, and so um, about May, I kind of lost the momentum, and then about June, I kind of just, you know, hard to pick it up now, and then I oh, in September, I get kind of a little bit fired up a little bit, but then by October, I kind of got, you know, kind of busy again, and then November went by so quickly, and now December's almost over. Lord, I, I, you know, I, I just need to, to kickstart again. I just need to um, try again. You know, in sports, sports is a good teacher of life. Um, there's a coach at Castle High School. His name is Mark Cunney. Good coach, good coach. He eventually became the head coach of the school. But when I was the chaplain there for about three years, it was kind of interesting to watch how he coached. But there's a football player who kept fumbling the ball. You know what a fumble is, girls, ladies? Fumble. You get the ball, but then you, you drop it. Not a good thing. And so in practice, this guy kept fumbling the ball. And so the, the backs coach kept reading on this player who kept fumbling the ball. He said this, which is true. Hang on to the ball. Stop dropping the ball. You don't want to drop the ball. That's a bad thing. He, the player knew that. But he kept for somebody following the ball. And the, the head coach said, hey, coach, come here. You know what the coach said, which I, I think I still remember almost verbatim. He said, hey, coach, come here. You know, number so-and-so, he's got a problem hanging on to the ball. He said this. He said, have you checked his fingers? Does he have butter on it? Does he have olive oil? What does he have? What are, he's joking. And he said, look. Help him. Remind him how to hold the ball. Yeah, but coach, he keeps falling the ball. I said, he said, he said, coach, listen. Give him the ball again. Let him have a chance to be successful. And the coach said, yeah, okay, you know, but I, I know what's going to happen. And the coach says, give it a try. And he, he got him the ball. And the next play in practice, he held onto the ball. Okay, that was a good surprise for the coach. And he kept doing that. In the game, he didn't fumble the ball again. You know why? Because the head coach says to the assistant coach, give him a chance to be successful. Don't always scold him. Don't always berate him. He knows himself that he is not the form of the ball. But he needs something in his head to help him to think that he just needs a second chance. He just wants another chance. Coach, give him another chance. He get the ball again, held onto the ball, and that guy never fumbled for the next three games. Good coach. You know what the Lord does for us? We messed up, but he gives us the chance to hold the ball again. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, I'm gonna try again. I'm gonna do the things that I used to do. I'm gonna try to, I'm, doing, I'm gonna pick up again and try to do better this time. God help me. I have failed, but I'm gonna do better this time. The Lord says, okay, I'll give you the ball. Now don't fumble. Now if we fumble again, you know what the Lord's gonna say? Well, back to square one. Okay, let's, let's work on that again. See, that's what the Lord does. He doesn't go, ooh, ooh. That's what uh, some people do, but that's not the right thing to be. I have a lot of kids, grandkids, and you know, they teach a lot of lessons. I'll stop here. But uh, I see I see growth in the kids. But a year ago, six months ago, half, half a year ago, a year and a half ago, I thought, there's no hope. <laughs> they just don't get it. But I look, I see, I see the kids learning how to shoot a basketball. I see they can learn how to make a layup this way and overhand. I see them not always getting the ball and, and throwing the ball away. I see them doing certain things. It's taking a long time in just something small like basketball. Uh, they never had a chance to play in China, but they have a chance to do some things now. And I see 
progress it, but there's some I'll confess I see there's sometimes I said, you know what? I give up. There's no hope for them. They don't get it. It's not in here. It's like me learning how to play the guitar. I can't do it. It's hopeless. And all of a sudden I see them doing something say, Oh, who are you? Who are you? You are my grandkids? Who are you? And they and I see them play with the neighborhood kids. And some that are doing some things, I'm thinking, wow, this is awesome. They're doing something right. And now they're teaching other kids. They're scolding other kids. No, that was traveling. No, that was palming the ball. No, you can't do it. You got five. All this kind of thing. But before, it's like they have no clue what I'm talking about. Now they seem to be getting able to, you know what? I'm so glad God doesn't treat me like I treated them. When they were acting, when they were not able to get it. And I got so furious with them. I'm glad God doesn't treat me like that. You know, my wife is, she's convicting because she always tells me I know something that's true, but I don't practice it. She says, honey, don't tell the kids. I said, well, you weren't out there to see what they were not doing. <laughs> honey, they're just kids. I said, I know they're just kids, but they don't know better than that. Yeah, but they're learning. Have some mercy on them. I said, no, I give up. You, you teach them. You'd be just as good to teach them. No, you're just mad. <laughs> yeah, I'm just mad. Next day, I calm down, feel better. Okay, let's try this again. And they still don't do it right. Months go by, they still don't do it right. And then finally, something clicks. And somebody does it right. Usually, it's Samuel first. You know, my wife, she's so bad because she's always convicting me. And uh, but here's what I'm learning. That's that's almost like that's almost like that's almost like God telling me, "Hey, dummy, the way you are to them, the way you treat them, that's not how I treat you. I treat you a little bit better, don't I?" And I have to talk to myself and realize, you know, this is true. God gives me another chance to carry the ball. And you would not, you you could not, you, well, maybe you could. If you failed, if you have failed more than one time, you, you kind of tend to think that you'd never get something right. Read what the Lord does with his children. He lets us try again. You have to be grateful for that. Because that is the truth. He which hath begun a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. He still works in you. Oh, I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that it's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie that we believe. Don't believe some of these things. I am grateful. You should be grateful for God's mercy and how he can restore and give us a second and third and a seventh chance. Don't ever think that you've had it just because you messed up. Because you haven't messed up to the point where you've had it. There is a God in heaven that I have tried to walk with for, walk with since 1970. And in all of these years, I can tell you the times that I have failed, the times that I thought, you know what? I'm going to be on the shelf. I'm off to the side. I'm on the bench for the rest of my life because of attitudes or feelings or, you know, whatever. But then the Lord always somehow seems to come around and somehow lets me know that, you know, it, it's going to be okay because um, failure is not final. And 
It's not always disastrous, and it's not. If I could tell you, I won't, but if I could tell you the times we have fought, the times when I have argued, early days, not recently, not in the last 25 years. Small kind, yes. Small skirmishes, but not major battles, not world wars. And, uh, you know, I never thought about, I never thought about divorcing my wife. She never thought about divorcing me. <coughs> now, this is the truth. But I have thought about, okay, I'm just going for a week and disappear and see how you like it <laughs> to her. And she has said sometimes, I'm sure, I'm going to go back to mama and see how you like it. And I would say to myself, if she ever voiced that, she never did, but if she ever voiced that, I would say, no, you, you can't afford to fly back to see mom, so you have to, she slept with me. And somehow the Lord has allowed us to work things out. Small things which became big things, became small things again. We kind of went back and forth like this. Now I'm trying to tell you that it is true that the Lord does get upset with us. The Lord does get offended with us. He's not tolerant of some things, but he's also tolerant with some things. I just want you to know that around Christmas time, our hearts, my heart's a little bit more tender toward a lot of things because I'm realizing the reason why Christ came and what he did when he came as an adult man and his ministry on earth and how he went to the cross for me as undeserving as I am and was and so on. And yet still as one of his children, I'm sometimes so disobedient to him and yet he never does tell me you're out of here. That's pretty good. Some human fathers tell their kids, that's it. You turn 18, out of here. Or if you misbehave at 50, you're out of here. If you ever do drugs, you know, Carlton's father told him one time as he had a suitcase in the Hui airport heading out to college for the first time, his father told him this, Carlton, in his real Japanese Hirohito style, say, Carlton? Carlton? Yes, father? Carlton's gonna go live in the dorms at college for four years. He could not come back Christmas time like that. It's not possible back then. Carlton? Yes, Father? If you ever do drugs, I will kill you. <laughs> and Carlton tells us to with a straight face because that's what his father said. That's what his father would have done something to him. Carlton says, I took my father to heart and I never did drugs in college because I knew my father meant what he said. <laughs> Put up that samurai sword. Off you with your head. But uh, that's not how the Lord is to us, you see. Thank God for that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for letting us look at some things about Christmas. And it took our minds to some other things every day of the year. And we don't want to believe lies or falsehoods. We want to believe the truth of the Word of God. And we pray that you help us, Lord, to live like that. And this time of the year, we are especially tender in our hearts to think about how gracious and kind you are to each of us. And uh, we pray that you help us, Lord, to remember how good you are and how you are patient, long-suffering. And I pray that you help us, Father, to uh, treat others the same way. Sometimes we need to be scolded. Sometimes we need to just um, be comforted. And whatever the need is, uh, give us wisdom. But for sure, we are grateful to you for how you treat us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.